Well, when I was growing up, children's stories had an edge to them and left a mark. Something like responsible parenting, actually. The goal wasn't self-esteem, it was safety and security in a very wicked world. I think we could all benefit from a little more of that in our world today. One of my favorite stories begins this way. Once upon a time, there was a little girl who lived in a village near the forest. Whenever she went out, the little girl wore a red riding cloak. So everyone in the village called her Little... This is an interactive event. It's church. It's a... Uh... Please, come with me. One morning, Little Red Riding Hood asked her mother if she could go to visit her grandmother as it had been a while since they'd seen each other. That's a good idea, her mother said, so they packed a nice basket for Little Red Riding Hood to take to her grandmother. When the basket was ready, little girl put on her red cloak and kissed her mother goodbye. Remember, go straight to grandma's house, the mother cautioned. Don't dawdle along the way, and please don't talk to strangers. The woods are dangerous. Don't worry, mommy, said Little Red Riding Hood. I'll be careful. But when Little Red Riding Hood noticed some lovely flowers in the woods, she forgot her promise to her mother. She picked a few, watched the butterflies flit about for a while, listened to the frogs croaking, and then picked a few more. Little Red Riding Hood was enjoying the warm summer day so much that she didn't notice a dark shadow approaching out of the forest behind her. Suddenly, the wolf appeared beside her. What are you doing out here, little girl? The wolf asked in a voice as friendly as he could muster. I'm on my way to see my grandma, who lives through the forest near the brook. Little Red Riding Hood replied. Then she realized how late it was and quickly excused herself, rushing down the path to her grandma's house. The wolf, in the meantime, took a shortcut. The wolf, a little out of breath from running, arrived at grandma's and knocking lightly at the door. Oh, thank goodness, dear. Come in, come in. I was worried sick that something had happened to you in the forest, said grandma, thinking that the knock was her granddaughter. The wolf let himself in. Poor granny did not have time to say another word before the wolf gobbled her up. It's a great kid story. <laughs> the wolf let out a satisfied burp and then poked through granny's wardrobe to find a nightgown that he liked. He added a frilly sleeping cap and for good measure dabbed some of granny's perfume behind his pointy ears. A few minutes later, Red Riding Hood knocked on the door. The wolf jumped into bed and pulled the covers over his nose. Who is it? He called in a crackly voice. It's me, Little Red Riding Hood. Oh, how lovely. Do come in, my dear, cracked the wolf. When Little Red Riding Hood entered the little cottage, she could scarcely recognize her grandmother. Grandmother, your voice sounds so odd. Is something the matter, she asked. Oh, I just have a touch of a cold, squeaked the wolf, adding a cough at the end to prove the point. But grandmother... What big ears you have, said Little Red Riding Hood as she edged closer to the bed. The better to hear you with, my dear, replied the wolf. But grandmother, what big eyes you have, said Red, Little Red Riding Hood. The better to see you with, my dear, replied the wolf. 
But grandmother, what big teeth you have, said the little red riding hood, her voice quivering slightly. The better to eat you with, my dear, roared the wolf as he leapt out of bed and began to chase the little girl. Almost too late, little red riding hood realized that the person in the bed was not her grandmother, but a hungry wolf. She ran across the room and through the door, shouting, Help! Wolf! As loudly as she could. A woodsman who was chopping logs nearby heard her cry and ran towards the cottage as fast as he could. He grabbed the wolf and made him spit out the poor grandmother who was a bit frazzled by the whole experience, <laughs> but still in one piece. Oh, Grandma, I was so scared, sobbed Little Red Riding Hood. I'll never speak to strangers or dawdle in the forest again. I think... We live in an era that I would call the Little Red Riding Hood Church. The Little Red Riding Hood Christians. If we're paying attention, we will notice that the church has abandoned, the Christians are abandoning the traveled path of absolute truth for the dangerous forest of feelings and experiences. Increasingly, they are interested in strange online voices peddling unfamiliar ideas in competition with the familiar and accountable voices of those bringing expositional truth. We have never lived in a more dangerous time than we live in right now. In the first century, truth was at least competed for or over. Today, truth is not even sought. It doesn't matter. Your truth is as good as my truth. My truth is as good as your truth. Competing interpretations are equally valid in English school classes. Authorial intent means nothing. And being totally pluralistic, tolerantly pluralistic, is the highest state of progress. Make no mistake about it, we're walking dangerous paths, listening to dangerous voices, and we don't even know the difference. In a book written by James White called Meet Generation Z, or Generation Z, as the author would say, Anyway, if you don't know what Generation Z is, it's everybody born since 1995. That's a whole new culture. The gap between wisdom and information is widening. Little kids have access to information well belong their, well past or well by their wisdom or ability to consider or think through. So what are we going to do? Well, because you asked, I'm preaching on false teaching and spotting false teachers. And my title is Cry Wolf Church. It is time to cry wolf. Would you turn in your Bibles with me to 2 Peter chapter 2? The Apostle Peter writes about this. I'm going to take a couple of selected texts this morning. And we're going to talk about them. We're going to talk about common traits of false teachers. 
So your Bibles are at 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, but there were also false prophets among the people. Peter starts out by pointing out that there have always been those who have been false prophets. But then he makes a prophetic statement himself as he writes this. There have always, there, but there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. Down to verse 10. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the sinful nature and despise authority, or better, the, the corrupt, corrupt desire of the flesh and despise authority. Bold and arrogant, these men are not afraid to, to slander celestial beings, is this translation. It could be the, the glories, because the word is doxa, the glories, yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, do not bring slanderous accusations against such beings in the presence of the Lord. But these men blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They are like brute beasts, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed. And like beasts, they too will perish. They will be paid back with harm for the harm they've done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery... They never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed and a cursed brood. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, a beast without speech, who spoke with a man's voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These men are springs without water and mists driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them. They will mouth empty boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of sinful human nature, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, while they themselves are slaves of depravity, for a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and are again entangled in it and overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning." It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them, the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit and a sow that is washed goes back to her wallowing in the mud. This is the word of God. With respect to false teachers, let's pray. Our Father and our God, this morning we are uh, taking... uh, a journey into what to avoid. All scriptures God breathed and is profitable for instruction. And in this case, to show us what to avoid. To help us to be careful. To help us to be on our guard. And oh God, I just pray this morning as we um, center our thoughts from your word, I pray that we will measure everything out there against the characteristics that we find described here and the truth of God's Word. Would you help us to be sharper, O God? Would you help us to be able to discern the difference between true words and false teaching? Would you, 
oh God, give the church boldness again to cry wolf loudly when it is necessary. For I pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. False teaching, by definition, is teaching that opposes or contradicts anything the scriptures assert as truth. And false teachers, which are a category of individuals, by the way, named here uh, by Peter, uh, using a one-time word, never used anywhere else in the scriptures, false teachers, are there's described by Paul, Jesus talks about them, but the word false teachers is uh, Peter, a Peterism, as he, him, his, as he alone uses this word. And false teacher is by definition someone occupying a Christian teaching office whose teachings intentionally and consistently misinterpret, confuse, or contradict Scripture and is therefore masquerading as an official in Christ's kingdom, but is really a fraud. Peter calls this person a pseudo-didaskalos, false teacher. Pseudo-didaskalos, teachers who are not who they appear to be. Now, when teachers are described, when the teaching office is described in the scriptures, and as Peter is using this terminology, he is referencing the official office given uh, by Christ or, or created by Christ in the church whereby he gives some to teach the church. Some are gifts, teachers to the church. These individuals who he's calling pseudodidoskalos are masquerading fraudulently as if they have been appointed by Jesus in the office of teaching within the greater church or the greater body of Christ. And Peter says, they're not. They're frauds. And there are characteristics, there are common characteristics. Not everybody, by the way, not everybody who disagrees with us or you, theologically, is necessarily a false teacher. First of all, let me say right at the front end, as teachers and as human beings, we are flawed. Therefore, there's every possibility that anyone who teaches doesn't always nail it correctly every time. But these people are intentionally, as we look through this, we're going to see these people are intentionally teaching a different gospel or intentionally moving people away from the, uh, uh, the, 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 the common reading or the natural reading of the scriptural text. Now, Peter isn't the only one who talks about this. In fact, when the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts was signing off to the leaders of, of the church of Ephesus, the elders of the church of Ephesus, he writes this in Acts 20, 28, or said this, Keep watch over yourselves, Luke wrote it, and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, pastors, shepherds. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. 
in the book of Matthew, Jesus also warned of the same thing. He writes it, he says it states in Matthew chapter 7 verse 15, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Then he says this, by, your, by their fruit you will recognize them. You're going to notice that in, in, in throughout the scriptures, in the teachings of, uh, or in the descriptions of false teaching, regularly the emphasis is put on actions as well as words. Look at how they live. Judge by their fruit. I ask you the question, how are you able to judge the fruit of your online teacher? How are you able to judge the lifestyle of the author of that book that you're so enamored by? Be very careful. Be on guard. Be aware. There are six common characteristics of a false teacher. Know this, that um, whenever an, uh, an idea is presented that may, or may, that may not be in line with the Scriptures, but it's a preferred teaching, it becomes a lordship moment in your lives. If you hear something that's a little bit off, but you say, you know what? That sounds just a little bit more palatable. I, I could feel better about that. I kind of like that. Be careful. It's a discipleship moment. See, we are called to deny ourselves, take up our cross. We're not, we're not called to find the teaching that soothes our feelings and our experiences best. We're called to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Christ. I can tell you that this satanic plot that has been foisted on the church has been brooding for years, decades, a generation, very patiently. The generation that I consider us, I consider me and, and those younger than me that have been raised, we have been raised by the teachers and the media of self-esteem. Mr. Rogers, Mr. Dressup, Sesame Street, it's all about me. Well, not Rick, but you know what I'm saying. It's all about you. It's all about you, how important you are, and how much the world owes you, and, and how much everybody should be nice to you. And all those are nice things. But consider the product at the end of the line. It's the selfie generation. Look at me. I'm important, and everybody wants to know what I'm doing and what I'm doing right now. And so you've got all kinds of teachers out there who are appealing to our feelings, our experiences, our self-esteem. These are the common characteristics of a false teacher. The first is this. They look very much like sheep. Notice in the text what Peter says. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. <coughs> they come up from you. They will rise up from you. They are very much like sheep. And they will secretly introduce, they will secretly introduce destructive heresies. That idea is they will bring alongside, the, the real actual picture of the wording there is they will bring alongside truth different ideas. They will mix with truth other ideas so that to the one who is not being very careful or a very critical thinker or a very critical listener will think it sounds very, very 
doctrinally familiar. But it will, in fact, be a destructive heresy all along. Listen carefully to what they are saying. They will undermine true faith. What they will do is translate the truth, transform the truth as opposed to translating the truth. The simple trust in the saving, sanctifying power of the cross is under, under siege. The context of Peter's teaching here, Peter's letter here, is in fact um, that the false teachers that he was envisioning were, were in fact, and, and those that were around him at the time, were in fact questioning the power of the coming Christ. They were in fact questioning whether or not Christ was really going to come again in judgment. Oh no, God is not a, a judgment God. God won't come in judgment. God's an all-loving God. He just wants to give you a big squeeze and a big hug. Don't worry about that. We just want an all-loving God. And so they transform the scriptures to say what the scriptures do not say. Listen to the voices that are out there. A very, very popular book that will not be named today, but the, a person from the last service Googled the statement I made and knew immediately what it was. So put your little devices away. On page 120 of this book. This is God speaking. God declaring who God is. God revealing herself. I don't need to punish people for sin. Sin is its own punishment. Devouring you from the inside. It's not my purpose to punish it. It's my joy to cure it. That sounds really attractive. It just doesn't describe the, anything that the God of the Bible would say. Read Exodus 20, verse 5, and see if it lines up with that statement. On page 225... In Jesus, I have forgiven all humans for their sins against me. But only some choose relationship. But if all people are forgiven of their sins, they automatically are in relationship with Jesus Christ. Because that's what the Bible teaches. But we know that that's not true. Because in Romans 3.26, only those who have faith in Jesus are justified or declared righteous. I could go on and on, but... You see how beside truth, there is secretly brought in destructive heresies. And this is what we enjoy reading. These are gigantic bestsellers. They deny God's authority. They challenge God to an intellectual duel. The rightful authority of Jesus in word and deed is brought under question. Oh, there's a second description, the second characteristic that I notice in the text here. They are popular. Notice what it says here. Many will follow, verse 2. They are, they are popular. Their message, by the way, is even welcomed by unbelievers. I don't know about you, but when someone is putting out a doctrine book and it becomes a national or international bestseller, even among unbelievers, I get suspicious of that book. 
I get suspicious when unbelievers are finding uh, the, the teachings of Christ palatable. Many will follow. And you'll notice that the mission is regularly around the popularity of a person. Many will follow their shameful ways. Many will follow. Listen, Christianity is Christ. It's not a brand of person. It's not, it's not about some following some famous name. When it's about a person or human personality driven, I get kind of nervous about that. When it's about brand and about stardom, I get really nervous about that. Because notoriety brings fans and fans bring pressure. And pressure leads to pride. And pride leads to telling people what they want to hear. So that you'll keep your fan base. Paul was talking about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. The people there in, in Corinth were saying, Paul, you know what? You have all this deep theological truth and all of that, but you're, not, you're kind of boring to listen to. We, we have to think too much when we're listening to you. Uh, this is a paraphrased version of 2 Corinthians 11. But, but if you read it, you will find out that I'm telling you sort of what's true. Actually, I'm telling you what's true. And, and they, were, uh, they were talking to uh, Paul, and they were saying, why don't you give us a better speaker? You're not that great a speaker. And, and so he says to them, oh, you must be talking about, and I'm quoting him, the super apostles. So it, it's quite remarkable that even back then, in the first century, they had superstars. They had super apostles, super speakers, who everybody wanted to listen to. And Paul said, listen, I want to tell you something about the super apostles I have promised you to one husband. I've promised you to the Lord alone. I'm not giving you away to a brand. I'm not giving you away to follow some special superstar speakers, orators that you love. I'm only giving you to one husband, the Lord Jesus Christ, because my message is to shine a light on Jesus Christ and not on myself. So I'm glad you don't call me a super apostle. I'm fine with the fact that you don't think I'm such a great speaker because all I'm interested in is that you would love Jesus Christ with all your heart, mind, soul, body, and strength. The mission is around the popularity of a person. I say, hey, that's a bad mission. You know, this moves into being particularly dangerous, as one author writes, about... Um, what he calls broken wolves who use their brokenness to lead sheep away to a broken gospel without divine power. A guy by the name of Joe, Joe Carter, not, not the Joe Carter you're thinking about, but a Joe Carter who's an elder at a church. Uh, the church is called uh, Grace Hill Church in Herndon, Virginia. And he writes about broken wolves. And I'll, I'll quote some of the things he says because I, I think it's really helpful. These are false teachers who use their authenticity, pain, and brokenness to attract believers who are also suffering and broken. Oh, how we clamor, how we race to events that are going to heal us of our brokenness. And then using their brokenness to lead the sheep to turn away from God's word and embrace sin. They reinterpret scripture, discarding the musty old understandings of previous generations of Christians, listen to what he says, for interpretations that just so happen to align with the latest preferences of secular culture. 
And what are the latest preferences of secular culture? Prosperity, health, wellness, self-esteem, And the harsh reality, he writes, is that if you call out a broken wolf, you'll be called a bully. And this is inevitable, especially if you're a man warning the flock against a broken wolf who is a woman. On the speaking circuit today are lots of savage wolves. In the writing circuit today are lots of ravenous wolves, both male and female. And there are thousands and thousands of Christians clamoring to their conferences to listen to the latest self-esteem wellness gobbledygook out of the latest she-wolf speaker. And most of us men are waiting for our women who know the Word of God to stand up and call a wolf a wolf and run them out of the speaking circuits because they're causing havoc within the church of Jesus Christ. Wolves and wolf-loving sheep make Christ look shameful. They make him look cheap. That Jesus is just a gimmick to prosperity, to material gain, to feeling better about myself. The cross of Christ is not that trite. It's not that trivial. It was the Lord of glory giving his life that we might have our sins forgiven and not be addicted any longer to prosperity or ourselves. It's the opposite message. I notice thirdly, they are greedy. In their greed, verse 3, these teachers exploit you. In other words, uh, Translated another way, they, they're experts in greed. They have ways of sticking their hand in your pocket that you have never imagined. They are experts in greed, exploiting you like Balaam. They're described here as Balaam. He says, these people in verse 15, they, they've left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Beor. Do you know Balaam? Remember Balaam? He's a prophet. Supposedly a prophet of God. But he was willing to be contracted to do anything for money. Including to be contracted to curse the people of God. Numbers 22, you can read all about him if you want to. He loved, it says, the wages of wickedness, Peter said. You tell me what you want me to say... You tell me what the customer wants me to say, and I'll say it. You pay me enough money, and I will tell you anything you want to hear. That's Balaam. And the text goes on to say or remind us that, that a donkey had more spiritual sensitivity 
than a prophet of God who loved the wicked wages of wickedness. That, a, that Balaam was so insensitive to God that a common beast of burden, a donkey, a mule, an ass, had more spiritual sensitivity than the prophet of God. And so Peter says to his audience, he calls him the, he calls him Balaam, the son of, he actually changes the word to Basar. Basar is the Hebrew word for flesh. He's the son of flesh. Just like the false teachers. They're sons and daughters of flesh. In the Bible, regularly when it wants to highlight how your very nature is. We are sons and daughters of Christ, of God. Remember Jesus entitled one of his disciples, the son of perdition. Remember that? Who was that? Who was he talking about? You know you're just a... Judas. I told you this was interactive. Don't leave me up here twisting. Don't leave me up here thinking, man, these people are worse shape than I thought they were. You know your Bibles, the son of perdition. He is the son of flesh. They are the sons and daughters of flesh. This Balaam-esque style, they have no problem accepting money to misguide God's people, to tell them whatever they want to hear. Lead them into material temptation. Lead them into idolatry. They are dishonest, Peter says here. They exploit you with stories they have made up. I wish I had a $5 bill. For every teacher I've heard out there, a book I've read that said, God told me this, but it has nothing to do with the scriptures whatsoever. God gave me this dream. God gave me this vision. And now I'm going to tell you how it's going to be. They are dishonest. That's why Peter says, we, verse 16, verse chapter 1, we did not follow cleverly invented stories. When we told you about the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter says, the people who are true teachers of God, they don't make stories up. They don't invent stories. They don't invent things that they, they claim to have seen and ideas that they've come up with. They actually tell what they know. They tell what they have seen with their eyes from the word of God. From actually interacting with the Lord Jesus Christ, Peter says. They don't exploit people with stories they're making up about personal audiences with God Almighty and therefore a right to prophesy and grace the church with now extra-biblical revelation. Beware. Or the sanitizing of self-centeredness by twisting Scripture. I have read so regularly, heard so regularly, people say stuff like, you have to love yourself before you can love your neighbor. What in the world? Where did that idea come from? Oh, it came from the great, great commandment. Really? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all the mind, soul, body, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself? Yeah, right from there. You see, you have to love yourself so that you can love your neighbor. What? That's scripture twisting. That's not what the scriptures mean. Love your neighbor as you already love yourself. You love yourself more than you think you do. And so these teachers make self and pain relief the ultimate Christian quest. Beware. And they lead people to idolatry. 
the idolatry, the, the idol of self instead of the worship of Christ. That idol of self brings destruction. Christ brings salvation. It makes all the difference in the world. I, I pulled a few titles of ministries without naming any names. I couldn't find Christ in any of them. Changing your world. This is your day. Wait a minute. This is the day I thought the Lord had made. And we will rejoice in it. Isn't this the Lord's day? Fulfill your destiny. Enjoying everyday life. No mention of Jesus. No mention of Christ. Leading people to idolatry of idols of the age. Fifthly, they are arrogant. They despise authority. Look at uh, verse 10. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the flesh and despise authority. They despise the Lord's rule in their lives. Scoffing at the idea that sinning or a careless connection to sins can put someone in the crosshairs of supernatural wickedness. They poo-poo the idea that, that sin really matters and that you're putting yourself in the locus of demonic activity every time you nurture sin in your life. Bold and arrogant. In Isaiah 66, verse 2, God says, this is the kind of person I esteem. Listen to it. This is the one I esteem. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. That's who God esteems. He makes no... It's not vague. It's not hard to understand. This is the one I esteem. This says God. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word, doesn't duel with it, doesn't argue with it, doesn't explain it away, trembles at my word. These people are willfully ignorant about what they assert. That's why James said, not many of you ought to be teachers. You'll be judged more harshly. And thinking with their glands and not with their minds, as do their followers. That's why he calls them in the text brute beasts, unspiritual. They are like animals. They will not receive correction from God's appointed teachers. Let me just pause here for a second and then we're going to set up the very end. Jesus is building one organism. It is called the church. That's what Jesus is building. And within that organism, Jesus has established leaders and authority in his church called elders. There are elders that are over the church of Jesus Christ at large. So whatever anybody is doing anywhere in the body of Christ, the authority to do whatever you do comes from God's word alone, comes from God alone, through God's word, through those who've been given the office of leadership in the church. These false teachers who are sole proprietors, many of them, wandering around unaccountable all over the place, are also called to come under the authority of the church of Jesus Christ. These individuals will not receive correction from God's elders from the church of Jesus Christ. And that authority to correct has been granted in a number of places, not the least of which is Titus chapter 1, 7 to 9, 
2 Thessalonians 2.15, 2 Timothy 2.24 and 25, and I could go on. You can get a copy of the notes. The elders of the church of Jesus Christ are called upon, in fact, commanded by God to call false teaching out. To call false teachers out. To remove them as a blight from the body of Christ. But just try to do it. I have tried. They will not receive correction from God's appointed teachers. The sixth, com- the sixth characteristic is they're all about sensuality. They follow the corrupt desires, in verse 10, of their flesh. Instead of finding fullness and satisfaction in Christ, they fill the void with sexual pleasure. What used to satisfy no longer satisfies. In fact, shamelessly, it writes here, shamelessly parading, verse 13, shamelessly parading illicit pleasures in the open. And notice what it says here. Shamelessly parading their pleasures, they carouse in broad daylight. There are blots and blemishes reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. And you know what that feast is referring to? It's referring to the church feast, the church love feast, the communion service. Not only are they sensual and and horrible, but they parade their sensuality with bold arrogance and sit down at the table of the Lord with God's people. They are blotted and blemished, Peter says, rather than spotless and blameless. They bring grand empty promises, which is their hook, verse 17 to 18, and the bait is fleshly addiction. Pay attention to what they're selling. They're selling money. They're selling health. They're selling self-esteem. Those, that bait is flesh. And the hook is grand promises that you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and full of self-esteem. And they target newcomers to the faith or those who are not well grounded in the scriptures. And every woman is a potential score to most of them. They are adulterers, and they bait the vulnerable. So, what do we do? Be on your guard. Let me give you three, three quick applications. False teaching always leads first to moral failure and then to personal eternal destruction. If you pay attention to many of their lifestyles, you will find out they are filled with pride and they have continually been justifying sexual sin in their lives. Secondly, true teachers are gifts to the church. False teachers are a test or a sign of judgment to the church. Please know this. At least I can share my caution to my own church family here. Your own shepherds watch over you. Watch over your soul as those who have to give an account to the Lord. The authors of these books do not watch over your soul and do not have to give an account. 
Well, they do have to give an account. The uh, individuals on these circuits are not watching over your soul. Your shepherds are watching over your soul. The internet, the TV, the authors may be wolves. How do you know? Pay attention to what they're saying. Your shepherds are commissioned to protect you. So when I come to you and I tell you about something in a book and I show you how it collides with God's word, I'm exercising my office. I'm exercising my responsibility before Almighty God. I'm, res- I'm exercising my responsibility to watch over your soul as someone who has to give an account for how I cautioned you and I tried to protect you and all the other shepherds in our church who also do the same. And finally, please, 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 would you reaffirm your commitment to Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life? Jesus alone as the way, the truth, and the life to the... Uh, and life, uh, no one comes to the Father but by Him. And would you please, please reaffirm your commitment to all Scripture being God-breathed and authority of Scripture in your lives. Please. Father, there is more false out there invading our airspace, invading our eyes and our ears in this era than ever before. The availability of false information is, has outstripped our wisdom. Oh God, I pray that you would reel it back in. Would God's people be on their guard, oh God? You talk about in the last days, there will become destructive teachings and heresies that would confuse and possibly steal away the elect if that were possible. That's very serious, oh God. May we be very careful and know the word of God that we might be able to challenge everything that's said and taught. I pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. I've updated the children's story. What a big network media machine you have. Better to get your attention with. What a big audience following you have. Better to impress you with and convince you with. What a big success you are. Better to trick you with. What helpful feelings feeling words you have better to devour you with beloved don't leave the straight path and stop stop talking to strangers cry wolf church cry wolf father please help us to be discerning in these days and let us not chase after things that are not true and end in destruction But, oh God, may we hold firm to your holy word, the truth that has been given to us. Your word is truth. Jesus Christ alone is Lord. 
The only way to the Father is through Jesus Christ, the Son, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And all scripture is God-breathed, valuable. I pray, O oh God, that we might reaffirm our commitment to you and to all that is true about you. For Jesus' sake, I pray. 